today we are going to be considering this powerful phrase that Paul utilizes in chapter 4, verse 19, uh, when he talks about the feeling of, of a mother in labor when he thinks about the church and his deep desire for Christ to be formed in them. And I want us to think in those terms because the heart of Paul's gospel is the transformation of the man, of the woman, of the boy, the girl into the likeness of Christ. It's not just about Christ dwelling in us. It's actually Christ having control over us until we become literally a reflection of him. That's the essence of the gospel. And Paul, uh, in this heartbreaking letter in which this church, this group of churches that, that he planted, that, he, that God used and through him a whole movement, Christian movement was birthed in this particular region for him to see the fruitfulness, to declare the love that he felt from the churches in Galatia and the ways that they cared for him, as we'll see in today's text, when he was even sick, uh, he ended up planting the churches. This is how amazing Paul is. Paul, in a, in a, in a season of deep physical illness, he's like, oh, I can't travel, I'm too sick. I guess I'll just plant a whole bunch of churches. Uh, I don't, if you can just, as a church planter, I can tell you that's not normal. Uh, but Paul's anguish as he has gone on and planted other churches to hear, to receive news that the gospel has come under attack by these false teachers who are perverting the gospel. And as he declares in the first chapter, giving to these people what he refers to as another gospel. And then he says, and there is no such thing as another gospel. And therefore, if I or even an angel from God gives to you any other gospel than that which you have received, which is the gospel of Christ, you can't add to the work of Jesus. You can't add to a finished work. He says, if anyone gives you another gospel, let him be a curse. Let him be an anathema. And then he's gone through this letter defending his apostleship. And what's at stake is not his reputation. What's at stake is is the gospel itself because if they can undermine his reputation as an apostle they can get rid of his message and so paul has been defending himself up to this point but now he begins to get truly personal and he begins here in galatians chapter 4 uh, verses 12 through 15 he begins with this statement become as i am Let's read these verses together. Verses 12 through 15. Brothers, sisters, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you must have been pretty sick, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus what then has become of your blessedness? What, what's, what's come of this, the sacrifice? The way that you reflected the very person of Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve. Why have you left that? Why have you departed from this? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul now is appealing to the heart. He's using pathos here. In a big way, 
He's reminding them of the relationship that they had with him when he was amongst them face to face. And he's saying, how can you how could you depart? How could you listen to these false teachers who have come in and tried to undermine the work that was begun by the Holy Spirit? How can you how can you return to slavery when the essence of the gospel is freedom? The Christian life is the life of sons and daughters not the life of slaves. Isn't this what he's been arguing up to this point? The way to live the Christian life is to remember who and what we are. The essence of Paul's message here is once you were slaves, now you're sons and daughters. And so what is he saying when he says this phrase? Become as I am. I often pose this question because I think it's a really powerful one because we often, and I was thinking back to this conversation that I had uh, with this Jesuit priest a couple weeks ago, and he said to me, he said, you know, the, one of the differences between Protestants and Catholics, he goes, you Protestants, you love to live in your guilt and shame. You, you, you love to see yourself as, as wretched worms and sinners uh, rather than seeing yourself as the beloved. And I think it's easy, it's funny, like, Protestants and Catholics sitting in a room giving each other caricatures of the other side. Uh, but there is an, a truth that there is a, there was something that came through the Reformation, which is, which is the, the, we can't truly experience the full saving power of Jesus unless we see our depravity, how desperately we need his salvation. And that's true. But if we were saying total depravity in terms of uh, there's actually nothing good in you, then we've gone too far. We've gone beyond what the Bible actually says. If we were to say total depravity means that there is totality in the infiltration of sin into every arena of life, that's accurate. But it doesn't mean that everything we do is bad. It just means that everything we do is mixture. But what we need to understand is that the gospel is meant to bring about a transformation of the life. Yes, it's true. When Paul speaks in Romans 7, he says, the things that I want to do, I keep, I, I don't do them. And then the things that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And, and who will save me from this body of death? And what's the answer? He doesn't stay in this place of desperation. He doesn't stay in the place of that internal civil war. He says, no, praise be to God through Jesus Christ who has saved me. And so Paul is comfortable. Yes, he recognizes that we are all sinners in need of constant daily grace for sure. But he doesn't refer to them as greetings to you sinners in Galatia. No, he sees them as what? Perfected in the Son and refers to them as saints. And I believe that the key to victorious Christian living is actually seeing yourself as the beloved. If you don't believe, if you just see yourself as a worm, then you have a low view of God. Because it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That if you're a sinner, you're in a, you're in a place to receive grace. And God calls you beloved. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. You are loved by the king. This is your identity. So when Paul says, become as I am, he clearly has a very strong vision of the transformation of the life into the likeness of Christ. Because he's not saying, I want you guys to all be replicas of me, Paul. What he's saying is this. Paul longed for them to become like him in his Christian faith and life, to be delivered from the evil influence and false teachers and to share his convictions about the truth 
as it is in Jesus, about the liberty with which Christ has made us free. He wanted them to become like himself in his Christian freedom. And this is something that Paul states in another place as well. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. So when someone asks you, what is Jesus like? Are you comfortable saying he is like me? I ask you that question, and I've asked the church that question many times over the years, because it's a profound question that causes us a tremendous amount of discomfort. Because we don't like the weight of being responsible for other people. And, we, and we'll say, well, we're not. It's Jesus is responsible for salvation. I'm not responsible for the response to the gospel. Yeah, that's true. But I am responsible as a shepherd for you as a community. And you're responsible for me. We are a community that live and serve one another. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. That we don't live in a vacuum. We don't sin in a vacuum. We don't love in a vacuum. We do all of those things in a community. And so when Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, it's because Paul has a robust understanding of what it means to be in Christ and for Christ to be in him. It's not just Jesus has saved me, put his spirit in me as a guarantee, and then I live as I want. What Paul is reflecting is imitate what you see in me as my total and daily dependence upon the living Jesus. And we've all seen people that live with that kind of robust faith. And it's not wrong to imitate that when we see it. It's not bad for us to move toward that, nor should we feel uncomfortable. If you feel uncomfortable with the idea of saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, maybe there's something problematic in the foundation of what you think it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're still stuck thinking you're a worm rather than a beloved saint. So, I think that this is important because Paul is saying, Ab what does he say in Galatians 2.20? When he says, become as I am, what did he say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? He said exactly this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, he is contrasting himself as we see, to these false teachers who he argues are, are using flattery uh, as empty deceit, attempting to receive the praise of men to get followers for themselves rather than followers for Jesus. And Paul says, no, become as I am, one who has humbled himself before the living Christ and recognizes that all power abides in Jesus by his Holy Spirit, not by returning to the slavery of the law. And believe me, we have the ability to turn almost anything into law. I'm beginning to realize that more and more. We are more comfortable often as slaves than we are as free because freedom creates responsibility. And the responsibility that we have through the freedom of the gospel is to reflect Jesus. Notice this. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become what? As you are. Here, Paul, once again, what are the, what are the Judaizers telling them? 
We're not going to become like you. Paul was wrong. You need to become like us. You need to come back to you want you want to receive the secret knowledge. You want to enter into the next level of faith. It's like it's like religious pyramid here. It's like Scientology. It's like you want to get in the next the next level. Who even knows what's going on in those places, right? Uh, this is this is essentially what they're doing. They are offering elevation into their initiation into some sort of secret society. And how are they offering it? By saying, we're not going to become as you are. We're not going to meet you where you're at. No, you need to take upon yourself our practices and then we will accept you. This is where Paul was wrong. He gave you the starting point, but he didn't tell you how to move beyond the gospel. Paul's like, there is no moving beyond the gospel. In fact, he reminds them right now of the difference between him and the false teachers as the false teachers kept themselves separate from the churches of Galatia and said, in order to truly be in, you have to do what we do. Paul said, no, remember, as a conduit of the living Christ, all barriers have been torn down. When I came to you, I did not come to you as a Torah practicing Jew. I came to you as a Gentile like yourself. I basically came into your life and made no demands upon you. I met you exactly where you're at. He came in as one who was dead to the Torah, dead to the law. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19-23, through 23, we get into Paul's head of how he functioned as an apostle and as an evangelist when he says, for though I am free from all, I have full freedom in the Gospel. I'm owned by no human being, essentially is what he's saying. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Notice the language that he is using here. Remember what I said a few weeks ago that if we don't understand that the heartbeat of what it means to be a community of faith is that we need to care deeply about winning souls. Paul says, I would be all things to all people that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. Notice he makes a little, he goes, yeah, I honor their system when I'm with them, but I am not enslaved to that law. I only do it to fit in. I'm not doing it because I hold some sort of conviction that it needs to happen. And then he says this, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. I love that. It's like, is, is the law good? Yeah, it is. But there's a, the, there's, there's a new law, and it's the one who fulfilled the law, the law of Christ Himself. And what is that law? It's wrapped up in one singular word. Love. Love that is manifested through the exercising of dependence upon Jesus. I, I love this. That I, might be, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Let me just say that this verse has horribly, been horribly abused, often by young Christians as a, an attempt to justify reckless behavior in the public sphere. 
Like, that doesn't mean you go out and get drunk with your non-believing friends to be all things to all people. It doesn't mean that you, you get stoned uh, because you want to fit in and they're not going to respect you unless you're doing what they're doing. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is that I have learned how to meet people where they're at. He's not talking about compromising his faith. He's not talking about entering into sin. You know, it's not like, I, you know, my girlfriend is not a believer. I... I slept with her that I might win her to Jesus. It doesn't work that way. It generally doesn't work that way. That generally is just a bad witness, okay? So this is, this is the reality. Is that Paul is saying, listen, become as I am, one who is free in Christ, one who lives as a free man, which means that I'm a servant of all. Become like that. Because remember, that's exactly what I did for you when I was with you. He's contrasting the reality of his heart for them. He loves them. And then notice in verses 13 through 15, he goes on to say that though my condition was a trial to you, did not scorn or despise me. Now, this is something that I think is a caveat that must be noticed when he says become as I am. He is reminding them of what life with him was like when he was there. And Paul often would state that he was not a man who was, I mean, I don't know if he's exaggerating his own, his own temperament, but he, he said he said that people would, would, A, the rumors are is that Paul was a very unattractive man, that he was hunchbacked and that he, that he, was, that he potentially had some sort of speech impediment because there's even in the letters that people talk about what a weak communicator he is, but he's really powerful when he writes. Uh, so there's a, all these things that doesn't make sense. How has this guy become the conduit of the gospel? Uh, and... You know, there's been many people like that through church history that were unimpressive people, not, not, the most, not the most charismatic, not the most attractive, but there was power in their life, power in the gospel. You know who I can think of as a, as a radio personality when I first got saved? I don't know, have you guys ever heard James Vernon McGee? Yeah. So I discovered him when I first got saved on this radio station. I started listening. I would listen to like six hours of sermons a day because I, I painted houses, and that was kind of like my early seminary. And I listened to McGee. When I first heard him, I'm like, that man has the worst talking voice I have ever heard in my life. And I was like, he sounds like, he reminds me of Mr. Magoo. And then I saw a picture of him, and he kind of even looked like Mr. Magoo, like really big square glasses and huge eyes. And uh and he always was telling weird stories about squirrel hunting as illustrations. I was like, what? who is this guy? Uh, and, but I kept listening to him. And then, I, and then after a while, not only did I listen to him, but I, I loved it every single day. Like, beloved, dear, listen, my beloved. <laughs> and I, the more I listened to him, I'm like, this guy really loves me. And I listened to him for a full year before I found out that he'd been dead for 10. And I like grieved. I was like, I, but I, just the power of the gospel being proclaimed daily through this conduit of this, like a, this crazy nasal southern accent, weird illustrations that I couldn't relate to, and yet total power, and it was actually transformative for me, just hearing the Bible taught verse by verse. I was, it's so powerful. And I think that Paul, a little bit here, it's like, listen, you remember what it was like, and here he's saying, when I founded the churches, I was sick. And I want to just give a little side note because there is a lot of bad teaching out there right now that basically says that healing is for today. And I agree with that. I believe healing is for today. 
But I think it is a bad and inc- incredibly misleading to say that it is always God's intent to bring physical healing to sickness. Uh, and it, the fact is, is that even if God does physically heal you today from your illness, you'll still die eventually. So nobody's getting to say that it's that is a lack of faith that keeps us from being healed is really, really misleading. I, I met with my mom uh, a, a week ago and she uh, she came and visited and looked at the, the church and she's struggled with in- incredible health issues since she was in her mid 30s and just really intense arthritis and and all, all sorts of just autoimmune disorder and, and it's been really horrible and a lot of it actually has been created by the medications that doctors have put her on through her lifetime but it's it's pretty much crippling at this point and she brought up she goes hey have you heard of this guy and i go i go yeah i've heard of him and she's like she goes you what do you think of him and i'm like I, I think he's a false teacher. And she got teary because she's like, I heard, I heard he's coming to Portland and I, I, I thought that this guy is the one, that he's going he's gonna to do it. He's going to heal me. I'm like, Mom, you know that's not always the way it works. And one of the things that I, I think is really important and, I, and it, that's heartbreaking to me because it, it, it comes from a, an improper theological grid. I am a firm believer in praying for healing for people. I've seen God miraculously heal, but I've also seen God not answer that prayer. I've watched two friends die of cancer. They weren't healed. But God worked miraculously through their life and death to bring other people to himself. We prayed that God would remove the cancer from Luis Palau. He's one of the world's greatest evangelists. Wouldn't God want to heal him? Yeah, he is going to heal all of us. One day we are going to live with him perfected without sin, without physical blemishes i'll probably won't even have tattoos in heaven <laughs> but i did pray that i could keep my gold tooth <laughs> my mom asked me what how i got that i'm like i was just in a church service and it just turned gold it was one of those weird miracles <laughs> uh, i'm like or i was just being really immature one day and my son thought it would be cool if i got a gold tooth and i just said all right why not? Every pastor has one. Uh, so, so this is the thing that I think is important. Suffering in the will of God. God never promises a sickness, suffering, free life. But what he does promise is to bless us in the midst of it. And I think when we begin to live with that sort of understanding, that if God decides and chooses to bring the miracle, should we pray for people to be healed? Absolutely. And we should trust that he's a sovereign God and he can do whatever he wants. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But we also need to understand that regardless of where God leaves you in your particular situation, Paul was able to plant a whole series of churches because of his sickness. That's how these churches came into existence. He was too sick to travel, but not too sick to preach the gospel. Too sick to travel, but not too sick to love and serve these people. And I think that often we become this, this idea like, if I wasn't sick, I would be used so much more powerfully by God. No, that's probably not the truth. Have you ever listened to uh, Johnny Erickson Tata? I mean, just a, an amazing communicator that, that would s- declare that the swimming accident that left her paralyzed at 19 years old was the greatest gift that God ever gave her. Not many people can say that kind of thing. Listen to a woman like Corey Tenboom, who, is, who found herself in concentration camps and yet 
And yet, through those trials, God gave her such revelations of grace that she became powerfully used. How could a woman that's, that, that dealt with, with concentration camps during World War II turn around and write the greatest book title that's ever been written as a Christian? Don't wrestle, just nestle. <laughs> that shows a heart that's been captured by love. And only she can write that book. Because anyone else, I'd be like, that is so cheesy. But Corey Ten Boom, she can write whatever she wants. Don't wrestle, just nestle. This is our next series. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a picture of me like wrestling with Jesus. <laughs> but I, I think that, that we need to have a, a proper understanding of suffering. And, and I, I like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7-10, through 10, just to even further anchor in this reality that Jesus said, in this world you will have trial and tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We need to remember that every one of Jesus' disciples, with the exception of one, were martyred. (laughs) We do not get a pain-free existence. He said, so to keep me from becoming conceited, notice, Paul says this, he believed that the suffering, much of the suffering that he experienced was God's attempt being used so powerfully that he believed that sickness was one of the ways that God kept him in check. He says, so keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. A thorn was given me in the flesh. And he, nobody knows what this thorn is, but he says, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. He says it again. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What's the essence of the gospel message that Paul gives? Transformation into the likeness of Christ. And actually, that transformation occurred through this suffering. He says, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly for my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, with sickness, with trial, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I am content with those things, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Become as I am. Paul reminds them how they were toward him before. Throughout his ministry, his emphasis was not on his persuasion as a communicator, but a demonstration of power by the Spirit. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 5, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, there it is again, and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. It wasn't eloquent. (laughs) But in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what then has become of your blessedness? Paul asked. Where's your sacrifice? I illustrated the Christian life to you. How can you leave that? You can hear, I can feel the heartbreak in his message. But I love this because the lesson that you and I have here is the call to live a life of freedom. And it's the freedom to serve. It's the freedom to love. It's the freedom to actually become witnesses conduits to the living christ to be able to say to others imitate me as i imitate jesus doesn't mean it's your life is going to be sin free 
but it does mean that the more dependent you are upon Christ, the more people will see Christ in you rather than you apart from Christ. Secondly, I like this. He, he calls them to live in the truth. Look what it says in, in verses 16 through 18. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They're taking advantage of you. I've become your enemy by telling you the truth. They want to shut you out. I, I, this is such a powerful statement. That you may make much of them. They want to keep you from the king so that they receive all the praise. This is driven by cult of personality. This isn't driven by Christ-likeness. They want to keep you from the kingdom of heaven. They want to keep you from the gospel so that you will put your total dependence and trust not in Jesus, but upon them. Because they enjoy that privilege and that position that they have over you, that hold over you. And now I am the enemy because I tell you the truth. And he goes, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only when I am present with you. And he goes on to say, listen, it's good to be made much of. It's good, it's good to receive compliments. It's good to be affirmed, but not at the cost of the truth. You need to understand what he's saying is like, listen, you guys are being manipulated. You're being taken advantage of. And I think that this is something that we need to understand today because there is much manipulation happening under the guise of Christianity today. There is a lot of cult of personality that still is alive and well under the umbrella of follower of Jesus. And I think that there is a lot of twisting of the truth to make our message more socially palatable. To appeal to those that are outside of the faith, what do we do? We water down the gospel. We get rid of the hard teachings because we don't want to be offensive. And this is the problem with the current age in which we live. Morality was once revealed, inherited, and shared, but now is thought of something that emerges in the privacy of our own hearts. This state that we live in, insanity, is collapsing beneath the crushing lie if it feels good, it must be good, and, if, and we are drowning in the sea of ought to be, should be, and could have been. I love what Paul calls them to live in the truth. When we love someone, when we truly love someone, when I love my kids, I love my children so much that I will tell them hard things. And the times that I've gotten myself in the most trouble with people I love is when I have neglected the truth to somehow avoid the conflict. And we often do that, but that is not really loving. Some of you have seen me in my conflict-adverse moments. Those aren't my best moments as a leader. I think that this is a powerful thing, is that Paul loves them too much to not speak the truth to them. And I think that we live in this age of intellectual anarchy where true and false have been replaced with like and dislike, and we can hardly be shocked or surprised by the tremendous confusion and discontent that we see all around us because there's no foundation any longer. But the gospel... Jesus himself is the truth. And this is why he says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? What is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says, you will know the Son. You will know the truth. And the Son will set you free. 
I love this in Romans 1, 25. It says this is the issue that plagues humanity because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do you understand that that same dilemma, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator is the same dilemma that we often find in the church for the worship of the communicator, the worship of the worship leader, the worship of the personality becomes more important than the king. There's a great story of uh, a man who went to see the two great Victorian preachers in London, Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. And they preached on opposite sides of London. They went and saw Parker in the morning. And at the end of the sermon, Parker was a handsome man. He was, he was extremely tall, white mane. Uh, he was also known for being a bit proud. He wanted a statue of himself in front of his church, which which is pretty scary. However, I will say, I really like his sermons. He is a, he's a fascinating communicator. Uh, but at the end of the message, the young man that went to see him said, what an amazing communicator. That night, the young man went and saw Spurgeon speak. And at the end of Spurgeon's message, he said, what an amazing Savior. That's the difference. That's what Paul is getting at here. I've become your enemy because I'm telling you about Jesus. They're giving to you the things that you want to hear. They're not challenging you toward transformation. They're trying to keep you enslaved for their own egos. 1 Timothy 2.4, this is the truth. That God desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And he says, this is the gospel. They're trying to keep it about who's in and who's out. I'm telling you that the gospel of Jesus is about drawing all people in. If I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. We have to remember that the truth is objective, not subjective. It cannot be improved upon. Therefore, it is unshakable. That is why we should never be fearful in preaching Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If He indeed is truth personified, then we have an unwavering reality, an unshakable foundation for no one can lay a foundation other than that which has been laid which is jesus christ says paul in first corinthians 3 george mcdonald gave a beautiful depiction of the current the current age in which he lived and this is keep in mind this is a hundred years ago that he wrote these words i love this they had a feeling or a feeling had them until another feeling came and took its place if only he knew how true those words were. <laughs> so, they make much of you. Paul seems to be accusing the false teachers of flattering the Galatians insincerely in order to win them to another gospel. And so, what does he go on to say? He's like, listen, become as I am. That is, become like Jesus. Live in the truth because Jesus is the truth until Christ is formed in you. Let's look at the last slide. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. This is fascinating. He's actually using, utilizing the language, at, at the metaphor of that they're adopting a new gospel means that he has to give birth to them all over again. That the first attempt at planting the church in the region of Galatia was literally, he's using the language or the idea of a miscarriage. 
And here he's saying, listen, I'm, in, I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He's calling them. He's like, listen, you cannot, you cannot fall into this world. You are leaving behind. You're drifting from the truth. You are neglecting your salvation. How can you do this? Come back. Come back to the king. The divine image of Christ is this. I like what Martin Luther says. To have one's sentiments, understanding, and will conform to God's will, whose thought and will are the forgiveness of our sins and the granting of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He has sent his son into the world to be a sacrifice for our sins, indeed those of the entire world, and that through him we are reconciled to God and acknowledge that we are his sons and daughters, that he is our merciful father. Those who believe this have the divine likeness. That is, they think as God thinks in all things. And that's what Paul means when he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Doesn't mean that we always think like Jesus. It means that we have Christ available to us. We can begin to think his thoughts after him as we depend upon him. What Paul wants is more than just getting these people saved out of hell and into heaven. He wants the transformation of their lives into the likeness of Jesus as the supreme goal of the gospel. And so I want you to see this. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I'm perplexed about you. This passage gives us two things I want us to close here about the people's attitude toward their pastor and about the pastor's attitude toward the people. How is the congregation's attitude toward clergy to be determined? I, I would say, first of all, and praise God for this, it should not be determined by my personal appearance. <laughs> and I'm pretty confident that this is not an issue with this church. Uh, so, uh, but I think it's true that we put a lot we, we are very materialistic society. Uh, I've seen, I've seen uh, photos. Uh, I, I saw an Instagram account of, of, of a really well-known pastor that was, I mean, it, it seemed so image-based that I was like, whoa, that's so crazy. And then I was like, I showed my wife, and I'm like, do I look that good? And she says, luckily, no. No, you don't. Keep you humble. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> but no no what should your attitude be should it be should you be wowed by by the worship team's music musicality should you be wowed by by my uh gift of monologue no and no what we should be looking for in our leaders in in our pastoral staff in our elders uh what we should be looking for is christ's likeness and a commitment to the gospel an unswerving commitment to the gospel. An unswerving commitment, loyalty to the apostolic message. That we as pastors, you know one of the things I'm most looking forward to in the new building? Is that I get to come up onto the stage from the, from the pew rather than out of the green room. That we won't be in a concert venue any longer, but we'll be back in a church. There is something about the elevation of the stage and the, the setting that drives the idea of performance we are here to be entertained that is not the goal of the christian community that is not what you should desire from your pastor i'm not saying that you shouldn't expect well prepared well thought out messages and not that you shouldn't expect that the people that are giving you messages are actually gifted to do so but what we should primarily be looking for is the qualities of christ's likeness that's what i want to be held accountable to 
by those of you that know me personally or have friends, I want to be held accountable to that standard. What should be my attitude toward you? Calvin wrote these words, if ministers wish to do any good, let them labor to form Christ, not to form themselves in their hearers. Man, that's such a good word. We're not here to create replicas of ourselves, but we want to see Jesus formed in you. He should be preoccupied with people's spiritual progress and care nothing for his own prestige. He should not exploit them for his advantage. He should seek to serve them for theirs. He should not use them for his own pleasure, but be willing on their behalf to endure pain. Well, I can tell you that you cannot start a church and not experience much pain and suffering, but man, the joy of serving this community for 10 years now. It'll be 10 years in just a few weeks is amazing i have so many more gray hairs in my beard than i ought to because of this church i have the scars of shingles from this church but all of those things are a gift from god to be living life in this city with this community to see jesus exalted you guys my prayer for each one of you and for myself as well is that christ would be formed in us amen let's pray